Welcome to the Monsters and Treasure podcast, where we talk way too long about a subject and just give you the best parts. I'm K.R. King here, and as always with Daniel Norton. How you doing, K.R.? I'm doing well, and today we had a, a, a very interesting discussion about railroading, where we talk about how we define railroading, why it's not our preferred playing style, and some ideas to help GMs get off the tracks. Indeed. You know, it's interesting. One of these terms that you have heard forever bandied about in terms of running a D&D campaign uh, is railroading, right? And how do you define railroading? How do you, and what do you think about it? Do you think it's uh, most often it's done as a pejorative term, as a negative thing, uh, but are there players that, that want to have railroading and they, they like that or as opposed to sandbox where you just present this world and the players can do whatever they want, go wherever they want. Uh, or something in between, as we can talk about. Yeah, I think that is that's the answer right there. Is that a lot of times <laughs> when people want to, the best way to like define something is to define its opposite. You know, so people love to grab railroad and then put sandbox on the opposite end of it, and these are like two very distinct separate things. But I think there's a third thing, or maybe fourth or fifth. But the third thing I want to talk about that I think is interesting, which is probably more accurate for a lot of things, is what you might call a linear adventure. Right. So to me, a railroad is when you can't get off the railroad. Right. There's no there's no way you you know, you go to a dungeon. Well, a classic would be you go to a dungeon, you there's a door on the left and the right. No matter which one you open, the ogre is in that room, right? That's the quantum ogre, right? That's a railroad. Whereas a linear adventure is like, okay, we are going to well, let's say almost any adventure path is a linear adventure where like when you go into a Barovia, you're going to kill Strahd, right? You can do it in any way you want, but it's still a linear adventure. You're still going to progress through things and eventually kill Strahd. You know, you can do things in different orders, but it really works out that way. A true sandbox is when the players or their characters, but really the players, we can talk about that a little bit too, make the adventure. That is, there is no plot. You start off with, uh, you know, let's say they're in town and there's four or five things going on. They, they hear about orcs to the north. They hear about a, a dungeon to the south. They hear about something overseas. They choose where they go. And based on that, that's where the adventure begins. There's no idea in the end you're going to kill Strahd. There's not even a bad guy. I would say that my 5e long-running campaign was like this because the the big bad, and I know that this is like the worst, sorry, at the podcast we get to be to, to give people crap, I guess. <laughs> the worst YouTube advice that, you, that people give all the time, it's always like, make the your player characters hate the big bad by having them appear early and stick them in the nose or whatever. But the reality is that the true big bad like that, you don't make them. The party makes them because they hate somebody who did something to them that you didn't plan. You can't make that. I mean, you can, but that in a sense is a railroad to me because now it's like, well, I know they're going to hate this wizard because he came and kicked their butts in the first adventure. But the reality is, is that kind of happened in my campaign but I didn't know it was going to happen. He was just some random bad guy who did what the random bad guy should have done. And they hated that guy. And that became their main enemy in the campaign. I know you're not saying bad things about Ravenloft, but even the module Ravenloft is like that. You can't leave Barovia until you kill Strong. Right. It's the ultimate railroad. Or if, if yeah. you go into a dungeon and you've got to find X or Y before you leave, you can certainly have that sort of adventure if you choose because the thing about Strahd, like just using that as an example, why if I was just to create something like that in my world, I would have Strahd might align himself with the players, the players' actions they might. Now, again, they might find some item or his, you know, 
with vampires, oftentimes there's dear beloved, something happened and you remove that curse and they don't just go off into the ne next world. They remain there, but they're different. They're not a defined villain mm -hmm. because I want the players to, they're the protagonist and antagonist of the world. They're the ones that are causing all the actions and reactions to the NPCs. But there's right. another sort of railroading where it's clear you can tell that the GM has set this thing up and he he or she wants you to go and wants you to go here. And when you try to go somewhere else, they prevent you. Sometimes very obviously, sometimes not so obvious. I, I guess true, the railroading is you can't just jump off the train. But of course, you might be injured horrifically, but you can, in theory, jump off a train, right? And, and, you know, and that might be a really incredible adventure to just jump off the train, right? Because, right. you know, and, and it's also there's a question of fairness with railroading in that you're saying to me, I have these characters and I could do stuff, but you're not letting me do stuff. You're not letting me be creative in terms of the direction I want to go. And you're resisting that as a, as a GM. And I just think uh, there now, this is another question here that's related. Do you think players, because we all talk about we don't like railroading, but do players want to know what they're supposed to do, right? Uh, what right. what the, Where the storyline, you say linear adventure, because I'll just, we used to just go and head out into the wilderness and start mapping the wilderness if we didn't know what, if there was between storylines or whatever. Let's just go explore. There's got to be something out there. And then as a GM, you might think, well, I got this thing I created. I'll just plug that in there or or maybe you've already got something in that hex or that area, and then the players meet it, and there you've got a new story. So, you know, that to me, that and that is, I guess, the quintessential sandbox. So, so that's for me, railroading when you're forcing players, you're you're, you're limiting their creativity. Right. So, right. You had mentioned before we start recording the the idea of a curated experience, and actually, it's funny. I was just listening to uh, blogs on tape, so, so I was effectively reading with my ears. Um, <laughs> they were talking about different types of play styles and. The idea of a, a curated experience is far from new. Obviously, we're mentioning Ravenloft, or Brooks mentioned Curse of Strahd, but Ravenloft is very old. It's like a 84, 85 when that came out. This right. idea, this uh, idea that like a curated, the DM should create a story that the players should play in, not necessarily that you control their every mood, which, which is what I think you get down with the railroad. So this is the difference between a linear adventure and a railroad, right? In, in a sense. All railroads are linear adventures, but not all linear adventures are railroads, right? Mm. You can know that you have to kill Strahd in the end, but if you say, "Well, I want to go over to this town here and talk to the to the uh, you know the sage," and they're like, "Oh no, the, that road's closed." Well, okay, we'll go across the field. Oh well, the fields have flooded, so you can't get across. Well, I'll go through the forest. Well, the forest is on fire. Yeah, oh, but over here, there's a guy you have to talk to. You know, that's a railroad, right? Or the well, idea, or the sage say, won't talk to you, even right, when you the, go, and they and they say he's not here. He doesn't want to say anything, and you could tell they're getting irritated right. that you. Why are you doing this? Why are you? Because I want to talk to this guy, and you know, right? Because some people do want a story, right? Some people like the idea that uh, okay, this is the story that we're going to play. We have this idea. I've created this character, especially in a world where uh, people like character builds, right? You're building a vampire hunter character because you're playing in a campaign where you're going to kill this master vampire, and you know that. You come into the game knowing, this is what I'm going to do, and you want this experience. You want this. Uh, I would, the other thing I would say is like uh, Call of Cthulhu, right, is a big example of this. When you play in Call of Cthulhu, it, as much as I sometimes make fun of Call of Cthulhu, I, I say, oh, you know, the idea is if you sat down, with my, if I sat down with my investigator and I was like, all right, well, I'm in the 1920s or whatever. And the the keeper was like, okay, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I'll go get a paper. 
Well, yeah, there's news about the stock exchange. Uh, I'll go down and get a coffee. Okay, yeah, you know, they don't put too much, uh, you know, sugar in it. You know, it's like, you don't want that. You want to know in the end that there's a cultist or there's a monster or whatever. So you need this experience to push you forward, right? You've got to get the letter from your uncle that demands that you come to the 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 new house if you want to inherit it, you know, and spend overnight there, right? And then when you get there, but, you your car has to break down on the way. You know, that's like part of the game. And you want but, that in that kind of game. But can't you have, when you go get the coffee, or you get up and you go get coffee and you notice, hey, the usual counterman's not there. He's took sick with some strange thing. And, you know, his sister's there saying, well, you know, he's really, and the, does the player go, oh, well, whatever, the new counterman, off they go, which is what we talked about. You as a player, there might be a little metagame. You know you're supposed to go, wait a minute, why is he sick? Maybe I better check up on him, right? And then you go to his That's house right. and he's been horrified by something that he's seen. And what did he see? And then the... You know, the manservant says, well, he came home with, you know, then and off you go on your adventure. So you're still do. you, know, you can ignore that. You can just say, okay, I go back to my room. I smoke a cigarette. And now I'm going to go get a newspaper. And while you're at the newsstand, you notice across the street, I want to say criminal types, but have you ever run into people where you look at them and you think those people are up to no good? They're the way they're looking at me. What are they up to? Right. You just can tell. Mm -hmm. Well, that's just casually in the world. If you're an adventurer type or you're a detective or you're something like this, you're always on the lookout for something unusual. So it makes sense that you'd go to get the newspaper and then the GM referee, whatever you call it, says you notice this out of the ordinary. And then you choose whether you want to investigate that. Right. But now there's also a buy-in, right? Because we're we, you're talking about a campaign versus one-shots as well, right? Because right. Mm -hmm. if we're talking about we sat down to play three sessions of Call of Cthulhu, you know that when that contraband's missing – and the keeper points that out, that that's the adventure. If you don't go there, then you might as well just go home, right? Like, why are you even here? But if you're in a campaign, that might not be the case. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. It keeps coming up. Right? Oh, the counterman's not there. You know, it's funny because, like, for instance, I run my OD&D campaign I'm currently running is very much a sandbox. I mean, they they kind of had a mission because what they wanted to randomly – I think I might have mentioned this – they wanted to randomly give a reason that they were in the dungeon and the module had it and my, my table loves random stuff. So the couple of them had this curse and they had to go a play, to a place for it and they made their way. You know, but again, I didn't say, well, you have this curse and you know where this place is. They're like, where is this place? I'm like, I don't, you don't know where it is. You just heard a rumor and you're going to die in three weeks. So uh, figure it out, you know? And so that became the sandbox. And then once they, they finished and they got to the place, it was like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to go back where you came from? Do you want to continue down? You've found these new passageways. And now they're on this island, and they've, and again, they they met these people who gave them some information. Oh, there's a, a wizard over here. There's a wizard over there. They were like, okay, this is the wizard I want to go talk to. They went to the one they wanted to talk to. And now they're on this whole mission where they're saving these young girls. And what ended up happening was just me dropping things, breadcrumbs, right? And I think mm -hmm. if you leave enough breadcrumbs out there, then the characters will go in a direction they like. And that that is, again, a sandbox. But once they make that choice, right, once they say, uh, I'm going to play Call of Cthulhu. I should go back to the one shot. I'm going to play this Call of Cthulhu mission. Well, I mean, if you don't take the game, the the bait, right? That's on the players, right? It's like, why are you not doing it? You know, you're there. So I think that that's a different kind of thing, right? Now, a railroad in Call of Cthulhu would be the police show up at your house and bring you to the scene, and they say you have to investigate this, and we're going to walk next to you, you know, by giving them or, a letter. Or you're arrested. Right, because right, you old the classic where the town guard comes, they take you, and you try to escape. You try to do stuff, and it's clear the GM's not allowing you to do that. Mm -hmm. I just had a situation a couple of weeks ago. We were investigating these shapeshifter guy. I knew we knew that this was a shapeshifter thing. We went to its rooms, and we 
And we thought we're just going to go up there and go into this room. So we catch him. And I said, I and a half orc barbarian are barring the door. And he goes, oh, and he goes, and he runs away. And we're like, how did he get away? He went through the door. Well, we said we were standing there. No, you didn't. He just was like, he wanted him to go outside. And then we had some confrontation outside. I can't remember what it was. I said, wait a minute. I said this. He goes, I'm the GM and looked at me. And I thought, okay, you're the GM. I, and everyone else yeah. was just kind of shrugged and off we went. That is railroading. That is like, come well, on, 100%. let me capture the guy. Adjust okay. it. Adjust what's the set piece outside. They come right. up or something. Or they... I think, okay, so first of all, if you like doing this kind of adventure and your players love it, that's fine. So I just want to start by saying Go that. But it. if you Absolutely. find yourself doing these things, and it's something you don't want to do. You want to. You want your players to feel like they have more uh, agency. I guess is the word. Then you have to stop making set pieces, right? If you invest too much time in any one part of your adventure, you're going to it's human nature. You're going to want to use it, right? If you create a whole and now, this is different. I mean, some games if you use miniatures, you have like a a whole thing you built. I mean, you know, they're going to go <laughs> fight the thing, right? It's like you don't really have a choice. But every combat, every scenario doesn't have to be a set piece. You can save that massive build till the end when you know the players want to do that thing. And I'll give an example from my fifth edition campaign. They were they had this bad guy, and they were you know they were defeating him. He was trying to raise Orcus. So I knew, like, they were like, we're going here to defeat this guy. We're going there. And it was their decision. It wasn't anything. And a week before they went to the big battle where they were going to fight this guy, then I built the set. Like, I did his miniatures and stuff because I knew that that's what they wanted to do. I wasn't going to – I mean, if they had been like, we're not going to go fight him now, I would have been like, well, okay, Orcus comes up and the world's destroyed. So <laughs> it's like you, you already did this. You know, it's like you're already there. You You made that path for yourselves, you know. But, and what's interesting about that is if you're going to have the tower or the fortress that the players, they're going to have to go there eventually, but you want to give them options or let them think of options. Is there, I mean, the classic uh, Helm's Deep, you know, drainage ditch, but there might be other ways. They might, they might have right. come with some ideas of, okay, we're going to fly someone in invisible and they're going to open the gate. And, and you could just say, well, they're, they're, it's being guarded. Well, who's a being guarded by i'm invisible they see you invisible and they you know because you want them for some reason to storm right. the gates or you've got these ballistas and and that's the railroading thing that because i agree with you if we're going to go fight the the guy at the it's going to be at the tower we're going to have this battle i want to use these mass combat rules that i've got or whatever or just you know that's the way you plan it but let the players dictate and they could by the way they may come up with a really dumb strategy and you're not just rewarding them Oh, you're so creative. Even though this is an idiotic way, we walk up to the gate and knock on the door. You know, now if they do that, there might be something so so audacious about that that the leader says, "Let them in. I'd love to talk to them." And then in well, they go. And we, you know, and, and what I think is this huge battle that you had thought up is different. It's totally well, different. right. And what I think is interesting about what you're saying there is it, everything the players do shouldn't succeed. And I think that's part of the railroad too. Is when you know that they have to do this one thing or they're going to die, and so you don't want them to die, so you force them down that path. Well, first of all, that's just bad design to start off with in my mind because there shouldn't be one way to do something. I mean, eventually you might get to the point where there's one way, but you know, if there's only one entrance into the castle and they have to go there with the magical key, and if they don't do it on the full moon, then they can't ever get in. That's just silly unless they know that way ahead of time and can really plan around it. It's like there should be other ways. If they're like, well, no, I have a pass wall spell, and I'm just going to cast it three times and walk through. 
oh, cool. If you could do that, if it yeah. works, you know, why not? And that's what's fun is the GM, when the players think of something and you're going to have to scramble a little bit or just think, well, who would be on this floor that they pass wall through? How many guards would be there? Maybe there's none. And, and by the way, you pass wall into the, into the castle and you say to them, okay, you're in this hallway. And what do I hear? You hear it's silent, right? And which way do you go? And then they start going down a hall and then they hear conversations down the hall. What do you do? Do you avoid the conversation? Do you go somewhere else? Do you go in? And then they go into the room and it's all the fighters are gathered for some conference and they turn and go, how or not, or it's a few of them and then they kill them or whatever and they put the cloaks on and now they can walk around in the uh, thing for a while, you know, the sort of classic small team that goes in and does something. Mm -hmm. But this is what's, Meanwhile, you as the GM didn't even think of this, but you got to scramble. You got to think about, okay, who would be here? And you're just making it seem realistic. But you don't turn the corner and there's the big bad guy with all his things. And he says, excellent. You decided to go against my plan as the GM. Now I will capture you and torture you, you know, whatever. That That's not fun. Right. There should be consequences for what they do, but those consequences should be based on what will be what would happen in the world, not what you decided at a time as the GM that they had to go a certain way to get to where they were going to get. In fact, very classically in that fifth edition campaign, I always give them a hard time because I set up two things. I gave them one of those like Spider-Man on the bridge, you know, thing. Like I'm like, there's no way they can do both of these things. They're going to have to make a choice. Son of a gun. They did them both and (laughs) they did it. They, they had a really good idea. They did it and it worked. I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. You can do both things. And it was awesome. I didn't, no, no, no. Half the world has to die because you could only do one thing. No, they figured out a great way to do it, and they did it. And I think that's what's really important. And again, this is not something that you should suddenly change and spring on your players, right? But you need to have player buying because there will be times where – because this is the biggest argument I see against this is that things can be anticlimactic, right? Like I, I another great story is when my friend Tony was playing with me, and he went into this – we were playing Dungeon Call Classics. And he actually had two characters, but one of them got hurt. So he said, I'm going to leave them behind. And I'm like, oh, he's going to be screwed. This next room, there's a mana core. He went into the room. He got initiative. He rolled a, a critical hit, rolled the best thing on it. And literally, it was something to the effect of you hit it through its jugular. It needs to make this saving throw or die instantly. And like, uh, it, was, it wasn't even a hard saving throw. Then I rolled like a one on the saving throw. And I'm like, you just went in there and killed a mana core in one hit. That is Awesome. I'm not going to take that away from you because I wanted mm-hmm. it to be a long combat. That's what I planned on doing. But I could see some players being like, oh, there was all this buildup and we killed them like that. So I guess you got to know your group uh, as always. There's a relief, though, that, to that, too, because I had a situation where we went in and there was this sorcerer, high level guy. And, he, and the, one of the players was a uh, some kind of fighter class with feats where he surprised the sorcerer, he managed to engage him, surprised him got up, got all these super-duper tri- triple attacks, critical hits, extra thing based on his feats, and he killed the sorcerer. And it was a little anticlimactic, I could tell, for the GM. And the reason I know this is, in the next room was the sorcerer's twin brother. And, and, and I'm like, the guy has a twin brother? And now we have the best, because he did not want to give up on his sorcerer thing. And I just like, really? So a couple of times I made jokes at the table. His twin brother, you know, Am I going to have my long lost twin appear? Let's go, you know, like a soap opera. But oh my! God. And I'm just like, just let us, just let us have that victory, you know? Yeah. It, it, yes, because maybe he does have a brother like the Wicked Witch of the East or whatever. And but there, he's off in his tower, and he goes, "You killed my sorcerer brother. I'm going to get them now." But not, right, not in he's the in the next, next room. room. Well, you know, and it's funny so, because, like, so as a player, I'll, so I was. Uh, <laughs> 
the Crystal, my friend Crystal was running a game for me, and she had this whole setup. There was a bunch of us in the game, and this like hostage was being held in this tower, and it was like set up a certain way. And her plan was, you know, there was guards at the bottom. She was thinking we're going to go in this tower and like fight these guys and work our way up the tower and have this awesome fight. And I was a thief, and I was like, "Are there any windows?" And she was like, "Well, yeah, there's a windows, but it's really high up. If you fail your check, you're probably going to die on the thing." So I'm like, "I'll try it." So I climb up and I succeeded. I get up and I look at the window. There's the hostage with one guard because, of course, all the guards are at the bottom, right? So I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to do a backstab. So I do a move. So again, rolled really well. Killed him in one kill. I'm like, all right. I lower a rope down and we let her. <laughs> and then we're like outside the castle with this girl and nobody knows we have her. And it's like, we're waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? Like, what? what's – and she's like, well, no, you did it. <laughs> you know, and it was like – all right, that was amazing. We figured it out. And because I think a lot, a big part of D&D is problem solving, right? At least for me. And if you could figure out a way to do it without having to have the big fight, that's a win in my book. Absolutely. And now there's consequences, right? So getting the hostage, now you've put a target on your back in theory, right? If, mm-hmm. if you know, the old, um, oh, I guess crime lord thing or mafia, they used to say, when you get an opponent and you crush him, you got to crush him completely, right? Because if you don't, you can't have mercy because if you don't, they're going to come back and fight. They're going to be, now, now you've got a target. Now they've got a vendetta against you. So yes, it's great that you did that. And it was really clever. What's going to happen next? What, what is now? Maybe you just bring the hostage back and the King rewards you. And he's, this guy isn't powerful enough to do anything. And off you go. What I might have is months and months later, you're in some obscure little town and here's some soldiers that were fired or were, tortured or whatever for weeks after they let this happen and they see you there and they just go hmm. you know i mean again i'm not just to make it interesting just to make the world see well right, assuming they knew it was you but of course they didn't know it was us we were some part of it yeah it. but right there's lots of ways you can do this and this is actually a perfect example of a railroad versus like a sandbox play right if we got the hostage out of this tower and nobody knows we ha- we got her right we bring her back to where she belongs a couple things could happen. If you didn't want the session to end and it was just going to be boring and it was a one-shot, you could maybe have us encounter a couple bandits on the road that aren't part of the tower, right? So there's a little combat if you want to have that. If people like that, whatever. But better, a railroad would be, we get the hostage back there. We get up on horses. We're like, all right, we're going to head out. And it's like, the entire guard comes running out. They realize it's you and somehow they know you're there or they're down the road or a mission pops up in front of you. Their twin brother is there, right? Like this is all, that's a railroad, right? Whereas a sandbox would be, we get away we get her back to to where she belongs, then, of course, people are going to know we're heroes, right? So there's a party for us in the city. So now that bandit king does know who rescued the girl, just what you're saying, right? And then Unless you are very secretive, right? Unless you right. say, look, I would just take the money and we, let's get out of here, because that guy is going to find out who screwed right. him over. And so, but of course, we know player characters are not going to do that, because when you say they're going to have a huge feast for you and give you, <laughs> you know, drinks, and this, every player that ever plays D&D is going to go, hell yeah. <laughs> well, it's the Star Wars parade at the end where you get your that's thing, right. or, you know, you, you, you want to have that, because that's what you play D&D for, to be heralded and get renowned. And for sure, that renown comes with a price. Well, and and also, right, as you're saying that, that's still their choice. And again, that's why it's a sandbox. If they went back to the person and said, we don't want anybody to know, we're just going to disappear. And then later on, you have this bandit guy show up. It's like, well, how do they know? You know, it's like, now you're really pushing it because you want us to fight him. Or or you you have rescue the girl. Absolutely not. I will have my main guy proclaim on the town square that she has been rescued by these right. guys, and here are their exact names. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. 
in the, right or you're like in bed that night right and the, and the bandit comes in and, you know it's like or she, or she stabs you because you know and that wasn't part of the plot originally because of course that's a that's a classic trope right but you know if you go and rescue her and then they're just like oh no you can't rescue her that easy i'm just gonna have her this is one reason why making a point of making notes for myself to to make sure i'm not tempted to do things like that like yes. you know if, if the if the princess has been hypnotized and she's going to turn on the player characters you gotta know that before the player characters get in there. Don't do that as a way to, to backhandedly add a combat when it's not supposed to be there. That just feels really off, and the players will know you did it. They're gonna be like, "Oh, okay, we can't trust anybody ever." You know, we'll never rescue another princess, right? Because there is the classic, as you said. I think there's a movie, The Professionals, in which they go to rescue this woman from this uh, bandit chief, and she's there. She's married to this rich old guy, and in fact, she loved this bandit chieftain. And when they get there, they see them in bed together. It's clear they love. They go, "We've been screwed." But they say a job's a job. We're professionals. So they kidnap her and take her back. Well, the whole time she's trying to thwart them, right? Right. So you could certainly have the princess. You realize she wanted to be with this person and they realize it. Now they could either just let her go or say, well, a job's a job. Take her back. But now she's trying to thwart it. But you need to know that, like you said, in advance. Don't do it just because, oh, man, Daniel screwed me with this thief thing. Hmm, I know. You know, she's yells out yeah. or whatever. And But I mean, at the same time, something like that makes your world seem more interesting. So I guess in a way, railroading is hard to define, except you know it when you see it. And the reason for that is it is so closely aligned to things like linear uh, storytelling, a linear you know campaign versus true sandbox. And also that the players, they know sort of what they're supposed to do in a situation. And what you're trying not to do is limit their creativity in terms of solving problems. Right. The, I think the idea is that when you're creating a scenario or a world or a campaign, you want to present uh, situations, but not necessarily present them where they only have one answer. You don't want to, you want to create problems, not solutions. Like when I write down that there's a door, I don't necessarily write down how they're going to get through it, right? They'll figure it out. Same thing is true of anything. If you you place your people where you want to place them, and then you let the player characters do what they're going to do, and you rely on your friends that you're playing the game with to do the thing, right? Like, you're there to play the game. This is the players, I guess. If the, if the game is to rescue the person from the tower, then that's what you should be doing. If you're just like, well, I'm not going to do that, well, then why are you there? So if you wouldn't need to, I guess GMs might feel a need to railroad, when they have players that don't take the hook. But I feel like that in and of itself is an entirely different uh, conversation. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear your voice on the show, give us a call. There's a link in the show notes. You can find us both on YouTube, KR at D&D Homebrew, and myself at Bandits Keep. Those are all linked in the show notes. And if you'd like to support the show, please give us a rating and a review on your favorite podcatcher. We'll see you next week.